Hi everyone, Carlene Fisher here. This is a continuation of God and Government series. And today I'm going to be talking about civil government. In order for us to understand what God thinks about civil government, we need to take a look at how he dealt with the people of Israel in the Old Testament. If you recall, the Israelites were in captivity in Egypt for 400 years and Moses uh, brought them out into the wilderness and because of their disobedience and unbelief, they ended up staying there for 40 years. However, during this time, God gave them the Ten Commandments and he told them that he expected them to obey those commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15 and 16, it tells us, See, I have said before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. So God basically told them that he expects them to love him, to obey him, and as they do these things, that God would bless them, they would multiply, and they would possess the land. Uh, if you recall Jesus in the New Testament, someone asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, the first commandment is to love the Lord our God. When we do that right, and we have the right relationship with the Lord vertically, then we can horizontally relate properly to our neighbors. Then we're not creating false judgments and we're also not creating false compassion. We're doing things according to God's word and we listen to what he says is good and is evil. So one of the things that also God had told the Israelites and in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7 tells us that God told them that also teach these things to your children and tell them about me. When you sit, when you uh, get up, when you walk, tell them about me. And so that was another thing that they needed to do in addition to loving the Lord, their God. However, after the death of Joshua, things changed. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. And so that was a huge problem because the Israelites did not do their job in parenting their children the right way and teaching them the Lord's commandments and teaching them God's faithfulness and their testimonies and the promises that he had, he had made to them. And so that began a cycle for the Israelites that was not a good cycle. So one of the things that we see is that in Judges chapter 17, verse 6 says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. When we don't know God, when we don't know his precepts, when we are not aware of his promises and the testimonies of even the older generation, then people begin to do things and do it in the way that they see fit. And they do it in what is right in their own eyes. And that's not what God wanted for them. 
So the end result was that there is a huge contrast between the book of Joshua, which they had many successes and conquests, versus the book of Judges, where they continued to get defeated because they were in disobedience. However, God did send some deliverers to them in the book of Judges, people like Gideon and Deborah, but the cycle of sin continued in the life of the Israelites, and that was a huge problem. So what happened was also in the book of Judges, we see that Eli's sons were wicked, and they were taking advantage of their position. And then we see that Samuel's own sons were wicked when he appointed them as judges. And so people were fed up with the judges, but they also were not looking at their own behavior and their own disobedience, which has created this cycle of bad leadership. So instead of repenting for their sins and repenting for the fact that they have walked away from the Lord and that they're doing things in their own ways, they began to ask for a king. They asked Samuel to place a king over them. God had told them already that they were going to have a king, but they did not care about God's timing or the right person. They wanted to be like everyone else and to have a king. Does that sound familiar? Everyone else. We have a tendency to want to do things like everyone else. And that's dangerous if that's not what God has prescribed and instructed us to do. And so we need to really be careful not to ask for things that God has not said is a good idea for us. So the Lord told Samuel that this is a rejection of him as the king, and you go ahead and give him a king, but warn them as to what's going to happen. And I will not read the entire passage for the sake of time, but you can take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 11 through 18, where God tells them that um, they were, they're going to be taxed, that um, the king is going to use their sons and daughters, and they're going to take land, and a lot of different things that he uh, God uh, forewarned them. And so the bottom line was that God was saying that a king, a government, was going to be a taker in your life, but he was the one who had been giving them things and who had been blessing them but an institution of a kingdom or civil government was going to be a taker um, because God's heart, and in Exodus 19, 6 tells us that God was looking for a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God's heart for this government was going to be that these people were going to continue to seek him, that they were going to have priests that would allow people to come and worship the Lord, and that this nation would be holy, and then all the other people, all the other nations can look to this nation and see how blessed they are because they're following the Lord, and that that would glorify the name of God, and they would be blessed as they're walking with the Lord. However, the Israelites had their own ideas, and so God gave them their king, not his king. And so they ended up having Saul um, first, Eventually, God brought about David to them, and so David became the king that God really wanted to give them 
to begin with. And of course, there are many prophecies that Jesus was going to come from the lineage of David and from root of Jesse, who was David's son. And so that was God's original plan for David to be the king. However, when we look at the history of Israel, we continue to see that there were good kings and there were bad kings. And that cycle continued and people continued to disobey and uh, continued in their sin cycle. And finally, um, God sent them into captivity twice in the um, eighth century and in the sixth century, they were in captivity because of their disobedience and the fact that they were walking away from the Lord. So what does this mean to us who live in a democracy? Well, democracy is the will of the people. It's the will of the majority of people, which means that for us as people of God, it means our will needs to be lined up with the will of God. We need to know what the will of God is. So when we vote, we are voting for something that's true, that's noble, that's righteous, that's pleasing to the Lord. Some may say, well, I thought our constitution and the first amendment says that there is a separation of church and state. Well, let me tell you what the first amendment says. The first amendment, the part that relates to our religious liberty, it says Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. This was done, this scripture was there, and this is the only thing that it says, not a separation of church and state. That is not in the constitution. And this was directly related to government. The civil government was not going to interfere in establishing a state religion or establishing how a religion was going to be exercised. And so people had the freedom to exercise their religion, that they could exercise whichever de denomination they wanted. And so that was going to give them freedom because if you recall, even pilgrims left their country to come here for religious freedom because they did not want state religion anymore. They wanted to have the freedom to worship the Lord. So that's an important principle that we need to remember. So as believers, we get to vote our voice. And so if there are plenty of believers in this country that believe in the precepts of the Lord and they are voting on things that matter to God, that glorifies God, and it's true and noble, then our laws and our policies are going to go in the right direction. And it's not going to be oppressive because the majority has chosen this. On the other hand, the danger of democracy is that if people don't know God or don't care about what the word of God says, or they're ignorant about what the word of God says, then they're going to establish and vote for things uh, that are against the will of God. And sometimes they're even abomination to the Lord. And so that's the the blessing and the danger of democracy, that if democracy is exercised by the people who love God and they are doing their part and they continue to teach the generations to come about the Lord, then people are going to be exercising their conscience in voting 
what is true, what is noble, what is righteous. On the other hand, if we don't do our job, then it continues to be that the people will continue to establish policies that are against the will of God, or sometimes Christians don't even vote because they don't care or they don't know enough supposedly about governmental issues, but we have a responsibility because we live in a democracy to make our vote count, to make our voices count by voting and by advocating for righteousness. That's not oppressive. That's not the religion getting involved in the business of government. That's not theocracy. That's just me and you having one vote that you are exercising and I'm exercising and I'm encouraging other people to exercise because we know what the word of God says and we are voting the way that we know is the right way to build a society. And so that's how we can make a civil government that's healthy, that's God honoring, and it sets it in the right direction by us doing our part, teaching the next generation and helping other people and discipling other people in really just righteousness and the word of God. Because when we do that, then the people will have the conviction to do things and to vote on things that glorifies God and it pleases him. So what is our responsibility and what does the scripture say about the civil government? There are several scriptures that um, we can look at and um, one of them comes from Romans and this scripture says, let every soul, uh, verse one uh, through 17, says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all theirs what their, uh, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to, what, to whom taxes, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. And this comes from Romans 13, uh, verses one through seven. So these scriptures are telling us that first of all, the government will have taxation and we need to uh, pay our taxes. We need to honor our government. And it also tells us that the government is there to punish the evildoer and to basically support the innocent and to ensure that those who are doing good, they will be praised. And in this case, they will basically be given the opportunity to live their lives freely without um, 
sphere of government. And so those are the kind of things that the civil government needs to do. So first of all, civil government will have some charges to um, help pay for various expenses. But the main role of government, civil government, is for the protection of the innocent and punishing the evildoer. So whether that's territory, our you know, enemies outside of the boundaries of this country or within when people are committing crimes, that there are rules and there are laws that are supposed to be just and punish the evildoer. And so that's the primary place for the civil government because if it does it justly and if it takes care of injustices and it takes care of crimes and it takes care of enemies, now it creates an atmosphere of peace where people can live freely and can make their own choices and build their homes, go to work, raise their families, go to church, and do all the other things that they enjoy doing in the freedom and in the atmosphere of the peace and freedom that the civil government has created for them. So that's important. The other thing that's important is that it punishes the evildoer. One of the places that I think some Christians get confused is that they look to civil government and they say, oh, you need to be more compassionate or you need to be forgiving or how dare you setting boundaries around certain laws, around certain things and expecting uh, and punishing people if they're not following those. But the reality of it is, is that as a Christian, we're supposed to be forgiving and compassionate. The civil government, if it's going to do its job to protect the people of God or to protect people in general, whether they are people of God or not, they need to ensure that they hold the line of what is right versus what is wrong. And those policies and laws that we all voted for and we established, they are the ones who hold, who hold everyone accountable to those laws. So that's the civil government's job. Civil government's job is not to be compassionate. However, we can establish laws that are not burdensome to people, but that's our responsibility to do. The civil government's job is to reinforce and to enforce those laws that we have given them and we have voted for, whether individually as a group of people or whether our Congress established them or at the state level, um, the state assembly and the state senate has brought about, whichever way it may be, they, their job is to execute them and to ensure that they are followed through. So that's very important. Another scripture that we can take a look at is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, that tells us that we should pray for our kings and for all those in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, which is good and acceptable in the sight of God. And it continues to go on. So another responsibility that we have as believers is to pray for our government. It doesn't mean that we always agree with those in governance or uh, we like them. Uh, the scripture doesn't give us any of those exceptions. It tells us that we're called to pray for them. That means we need to bring them up before the Lord 
regularly because when they do their job right, we get to live a quiet and peaceable life and we can live our lives in godliness, which is very important. We want to live our life in godliness. Um, and if we have a government that's oppressive, then it's going to begin persecution that the New Testament people saw, which could happen, but to the degree that we have um, a say in it, we want to pray for our nation, we want to vote the right way, the way that it honors the Lord, and hopefully in the process, we're going to have a government that we can live in peace and quiet and live our lives with the godliness and the conscience that God has given us and the Holy Spirit is leading us. So all these things are very important for us to um, really be thinking about. That government, civil government, is essential for every nation. And it needs to be restrained to some degree. Otherwise, it can be oppressive, just like God forewarned uh, the people of Israel uh, when they asked Samuel for a civil government. And so I hope this blesses you. Um, some of the things that we can think about when we think about civil government is the fact that we have a tendency, especially in our generation, to continue to look to civil government to give us answers to all the ills in society. Um, but really, in reality, the larger the civil government is, it means it will have a higher taxation and once we set laws that the government is supposed to execute, it means we have given up our rights and we're allowing the civil government to have more control over our lives. So in order for us to have freedom, we should always first think about, is this something that someone else can do besides the civil government? Uh, is there an organization that's more equipped and more knowledgeable to do the job? Is this something that can happen at a smaller scale where the needs of the people can be more heard and the needs and the solutions that are given are meeting the needs of that specific group rather than a larger body of government trying to make a decision that um, becomes a one-size-fits-all? And the other issue is can we maintain competition in order for the market to keep the process efficient, innovative, and effective. Because whenever we give something to government to take care of for us, it means government becomes the big supplier of it, whatever that may be, or the service, and then the competition is not there anymore. And so when you don't have competition, things don't become efficient, um, they're not innovative, and, um, and they may not be effective. And so if we can keep competition in whatever it is that we're doing and, um, and allow that to set the tone for how things are done, the better it is for everyone involved. Because the competition can also set the pricing for things, and that could also keep the prices, hopefully, at a reasonable level that um, various people can afford with different um, degrees of income. So I hope this blesses you. There is a lot to say about civil government, but I think uh, this starts 
at least the discussion and the thoughts about what civil government's role should be. Um, and then the scriptures that I shared, um, feel free to take a look at them, to meditate on them, and, um, and allow the Lord to speak to you about this important subject matter. I hope it blessed you and God bless.